Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to better outcomes like more pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. We call this deep sales. And we've built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash trial. That is linkedin.com slash trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash trial and get started. Hey, everybody. Uh, first off, um, I've been saying for a couple years now that now is not the time for the Joint Chiefs uh, to take the nuclear codes away from Trump. Now is the time to give him the wrong codes. And you know what? I, I kind of have to assume that they've already done that by now. My um, guest today is Rick Wilson, like all the other founders of the Lincoln Project who we've had on this podcast. He is a former Republican political operative, but unlike Steve Schmidt and Stuart Stevens, Rick at least admits that he is deeply, deeply ashamed of everything he's ever done, not just on behalf of the Republican Party, but throughout the entirety of his life. No, that's... That's not true. Rick uh, Rick and I have a terrific conversation, and I, I know you'll enjoy it for a change. Now, one thing you should know is that we had this conversation on, on Monday, and this has been kind of a busy week. So this was two days after Trump's uh, crazy hour-long phone call with the uh, Georgia Secretary of State, uh, Brad Raffensperger. I remember there was a... Um, a question whether that one was impeachable. You know, just find me 11,780 votes, just one more than I lost by. Don't you think that might have been a little suspicious? Uh, yes, we did a complete recount, and it turns out that the president won by one vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, who did the recount? Uh, well, you know, it wasn't so much a recount. It was more that we just, uh, we found 11,780 votes. And uh, uh, the president uh, won those 11,780 uh, to zero um, in the batch of uh, new votes that we, that we found um, under a table in a, in a box. And it was uh, 11,780 uh, for President Trump. And zero uh, for former Vice President Joe Biden. So uh, there was very good reason at that point to conclude that maybe Trump was off his rocker. So Rick and I did the uh, interview on Monday, the day before the Georgia elections, and you'll hear our predictions. Uh, I wanted us on record, and you will hear hear those predictions that comes up uh, right at, right toward the top of the interview. Uh, but, of course, Democrats won both seats, which means that uh, we will have the majority in the Senate, which, by the way, I can't emphasize enough how big that is. The majority controls the Senate. It means President Biden will be able to get his people confirmed, his, his nominees for the different appointments within the administration, the judges. 
and he'll be able to pass legislation for his agenda. And Democrats will control the floor. This is enormous. And I want to thank so many of you, so many of my listeners who responded and gave money to the ground game in Georgia. A few weeks ago, I was joined by Dee Taylor, the leader of Unite Here's uh, then uh, 600 canvassers who were knocking on doors for Warnock and Ossoff. Thanks in part to all of you and people like you. Uh, that number grew to a thousand canvassers who knocked on more than 1.1 million doors. So thank you, listeners. So that happened Tuesday. That was Tuesday of this week. Then came Wednesday. On Wednesday morning, there were 140 or so uh, Republican House members and 13 senators poised uh, to challenge the certification of Joe Biden's victory in the 2020 election. Now. Let's make one thing clear. There was absolutely no basis for that challenge to the election, to, to our democracy. This was a challenge to the entire basis of this country. This deeply cynical attack on our country was led in the Senate by Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz college graduates of Stanford and Princeton, respectively, and Yale and Harvard Law Schools. And a number of pundits have pointed to their education pedigrees and said, well, they're smart enough to, to know this is wrong. Believe me, everyone in the Senate knew this was wrong. Every one of those 13, every one, every Republican, in the Senate knew this was wrong. Everyone in the Senate knew this was wrong because it was all based on lies. Now, just examine, if you will, the statement that Cruz and Hawley and the rest, that they issued in advance of the Electoral College certification process. I'm going to go through this. Okay, it began, this is a quote, the 2020 election featured unprecedented allegations of voter fraud, violations and lax enforcement of election law, and other voting irregularities. The 2020 election featured unprecedented allegations. Hmm. Where did those allegations come from? Well, from Donald Trump, his harangue of... Raffensperger featured a just a catalog of baseless allegations, just absurd allegations that came from liars like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and right-wing hucksters who just make a lot of money uh, putting out this crap to unsuspecting sick and stupid losers like the idiots who sacked the Capitol. These guys themselves, these senators, made an unprecedented number of bogus allegations of voter fraud violations, lax enforcement of election law, and other voting irregularities. Okay, now it picks up their statement. By any measure, the allegations of fraud and irregularities in the 2020 election exceed any in our lifetimes. Gee, could that have had anything to do with the guy who lost and you, his political lackeys, and the existence of social media and the dark web? Gee, why would these allegations exceed any in our lifetime? I know we didn't hear this many when we got our news from Walter Cronkite, you know, when I was a kid. Now we're getting it from um, Sean Hannity, <laughs> and Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson at Fox and from Breitbart and Newsmax and OANN and, of course, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Those platforms have created algorithms that amplify hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. And these ghouls, Hawley, and Cruz and the rest of them feed off of this garbage and amplify it. And their plan is to ride this excrement 
to power. These guys, Hawley, Cruz, they are sick. They want to be president. They are sick. This document continues. And those allegations are not believed by just one individual candidate. Instead, they are widespread. Reuters, Ipsos, polling tragically. Tragically, it says. i just emphasizing that. Reuters, Ipsos, polling tragically shows that 39% of Americans believe the election was rigged. That belief is held by Republicans, 67%, Democrats, 17%, and Independents, 31%. Well, I guess if you make an unprecedented number of bogus allegations and repeat them over and over yourselves and have known lowlifes, spread them through an unprecedented number of sleazy platforms, yeah, then that will tragically happen. Or not so tragically, huh, guys? Because, you know, we can exploit it and get the votes and the 67% of Republicans, you know, we can get them behind us. And not just their numbers, their anger, their sense of betrayal. We can rouse this rabble. We... Princeton and Stanford and Harvard and Yale graduates. We can ride this rabble to power. Wow. That's what these guys are all about. That's why I hate Ted Cruz. (laughs) I just do. Okay, they continue in this document. Whether or not our elected officials or journalists believe it, that deep distrust of our democratic processes will not magically disappear. It should concern us all and it poses an ongoing threat to the legitimacy of any subsequent administrations. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It poses an ongoing threat to the legitimacy of any subsequent administrations. For example, the Biden administration, which you guys hope to run against in four years. Okay, let's wrap up this little manifesto. Ideally, the courts would have heard evidence. (laughs) Ideally, the courts would have heard evidence and resolve these claims of serious election fraud. You know, they did. (laughs) I texted um, Mark Elias last night, asked him how many victories there were in court. (laughs) It's now 62 victories in court. Mr. Hawley, Mr. Cruz, you guys won once. In Pennsylvania, you, you got the nine days allowed to cure ballots the curing a ballot is someone to prove that their rejected ballot is valid. The Republicans, this is their big victory, they got the nine days reduced to six. That was their victory. These two and the others with them and the 140 in the House, they did this. They did this. And not just them alone. Mitch McConnell did this. Waiting a month to acknowledge the winner in this campaign, in this election? Unprecedented. You, you, you congratulate the winner when they're declared the winner, when we know they won. Joe Biden won with three, <laughs> over 300 electoral votes. You guys knew it. So this is not just on these goons. It's on Mitch McConnell. It's on all the Republicans who didn't acknowledge that Biden had won. And that's what happened this week. Okay. Uh, Please enjoy the uh, interview with uh, Rick Wilson. It's, uh, It's a great one, you know, for a change. 
The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I want to ask you about how the Lincoln Project worked in terms of who made those ads. Because uh, we had Stuart Stevens yeah. on. I interviewed him before the election. And he uh, he had just come. Uh, was he in Utah or some place? Yeah, we were all out in Utah. We we had a COVID pod. We, you know, we, we, we managed this thing for the first six months on Zoom. And it was just getting to the point where it was impossible. I, I was spending nine or ten hours a day on Zooms. Yeah. Well, a lot of Americans have been doing I, that. Yeah, completely. But we ended up setting up a COVID pod out in Park City where both uh, Reed Galen and uh, Steve Schmidt live. So we had our team of about 30 people out there. Stuart came on as a senior advisor. And, you know, he's he's arguably the greatest media consultant uh, of the of the last, you know, 50 years. Well, you're a media consultant too, so that, that involves some fake humility. Is that what that is? Yeah, well, look, all false modesty is <laughs> the worst kind. Uh, Stuart's got some mileage on me, and, I, and, and I, I, I love Stuart and value him every single minute of the day. He is a guy with enormous wisdom and experience. And, and, and a great ad maker, and he went to film school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, so we we had a great team, a great creative team. I had seven production teams, all of whom got used to giving calls, calls from me in the middle of the night, their time, saying, I have a really good idea. I'm sending you a script. Can I have this in the morning? <laughs> so I had one idea that I sent the Steve, Steve also Steve Schmidt, also mm-hmm. a Lincoln a Project founder was on on this podcast and it, you remember this it was uh at, in the first debate i think it was the first debate biden brings up the uh injecting the disinfectant and then trump goes uh i was being sarcastic and and you know that and if you look at that footage boy is he not being sarcastic so not sarcastic so that i wanted you guys to do that one which is show, show him saying i was being sarcastic and then show him Ending on uh, what's her face, uh, Doctor Brooks. Doctor Brooks looking like she wanted to. All I could hear in her head, her internal monologue was, "Come, sweet death, deliver me from this world." <laughs> yeah, uh, and you 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 wrote a book uh, with kind of that title. Uh, Everything Trump touches turns to shit. Was that it? <laughs> Close enough. Everything Trump touches dies. You know. Oh, I, that. I, yes. I, I always joke about that. Is that you know? I, I the first time I said it, it was flippant. It was sort of like a throwaway, ha 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 line, and it unfortunately for some people has become like an iron law of American politics. What does that mean? Every single one of these people 
who who believes they're the exception in the end gets screwed. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Because I was going to the literal dies, which is now up to 350,000, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, that unfortunately is a scale problem that I, 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 I did not intend it to apply to the country at large and non combatants in this political war. When did you write it? When did, when did you start, start writing? When did you drop it? I wrote Everything Turn Pitches Dies in 2017. Okay. So you didn't. Okay. <laughs> I so, just wanted yeah, to cover okay. you and there. Then, and, I, and then the second, my second book, Running Against the Devil, uh, I wrote it in 2019, um, and when the paperback came out, I didn't ask you print, this stuff. I just wanted to know when you use that dies thing to clear you. Appreciate That's it. all. I don't. I'm not really that interested <laughs> in your second book or the first one, frankly. But anyway, so, uh, but it's called every everything Trump touches dies. Okay, uh, there you go. Number one, New York Times bestseller. So, uh, you know what I wanted to talk to you about, uh, which is, okay, so I've had Steve Schmidt, Stuart Stevens, and now you. So, this is three Lincoln Project guys. I guess you and, and Steve are founders, uh, but uh, Stuart made a lot of the ads. And I wanted to ask you about being a Republican. Which I'm not anymore. But You're not anymore. Yes. You're an independent now, right? I am. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Steve now has become a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And Stuart, I don't know, but Stuart wrote a book called It Was All a Lie. Yep. Basically saying that pretty much every, <laughs> everything Republicans have been saying for quite a while is bullshit. Yeah. And he's not wrong. And and the weirdest part of this journey is is, you know, eventually you have to reconcile the fact in your head as a as a consultant. You know, we're supposed to be the jaded, bitter, cynical guys. We're like, wait a minute, we we we. But you are in that free market shit. What what happened? You know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to ask you about that because, you know, uh, look, I have plenty of reason to uh, have bad feelings about some members of the Democratic Party. I do, and but I'm a Democrat, and I work the cycle. Oh, this, by the way, we're doing this at the oddest. This interview at the oddest friggin' time. It's not, I don't, I don't know exactly when I'm going to drop it, but we're doing, doing it, people should know, January 4th. What could go wrong? <laughs> which is the day before Georgia, and then two days before the uh, Congress meets on, on the Electoral College. So this is the dumbest day ever uh, to do this interview. But you know what I'd like to do on Georgia? I'm going to record us, and each of us, I would like to make a prediction, but do every prediction, and I'll just put you, I'll just put the one where you're right. <laughs> okay. Because I think Ossoff's going to win, uh, but uh, not Warnock. Wait a minute, hang on. I think Warnock's going to win, but not Ossoff. I think both Republicans are going to win. I think both Democrats are going to win and control the Senate. Okay, now I've done it. Go ahead. It's your turn. Look, I, I think it's looking a lot like both Democrats are going to win. I think it looks like both Republicans are going to win. Uh, <laughs> I think it looks like Ossoff may pull it off, but Warnock doesn't. And maybe Warnock pulls it off and Ossoff doesn't. Wow. We are cynical and dark. <laughs> no, we aren't. That was just, that was, that was humor. Yes. We'll know when this airs, we'll know what happened. So, but it, it's obviously looking a lot better than when this thing started. In terms of when the runoff started, because of and partly because of Trump touched them and mm -hmm. the two Republicans, you see, you see, I'm tying it to your book, you see. I also think the thing that may change the ball game here at the last uh, in Georgia is this: that tape that was released of Trump rambling for an hour like a crazy person, yes, blasting <laughs> the Republican Secretary of State and the Republican. Uh, leadership in the in the governor's office and the Republicans, I, I think that's the biggest X factor of all that we don't we can't model in this race is that the Republicans have finally come to realize Donald Trump is not putting his hand on the Bible on January twentieth and being sworn in for a second term. And and I, the question is, are they depressed about it in Georgia, or are they angry about it? If they're depressed about it, if like the bitter realization finally hits them, then. Maybe they don't come out and vote on election day. If if they're not, 
and it's anger and it's, you know, rage, maybe they do. It's, it's a, it has been so hard to model it and so hard to pull it. No one's really got a great sense of what's happening because the race has been tied in every, every survey, public and private. The race is a, is a one or two point race in either direction, you know, as inside the margin of error. And it's incredibly frustrating. The, the, the real X factor, as in all these things, is Donald Trump. I mean, how does his you know, craziness over the weekend play into a final decision by a Republican voter who says, yeah, you know, I'm not going to get out of bed tomorrow? You know, it's funny. I have former Republican colleagues that I'm friends with, right, <laughs> friendly with. And so one of them is one of the 12 Ooh. who signed on to this thing. And I texted him like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and this was before the tape came out. Right. And he tried to give me some bullshit, really was bullshit, which has been my experience now on, on this kind of thing, on the impeachment and all this stuff. But then I maintain friendship by saying something nice, like, what's your address for my Christmas card? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then on the Christmas Asshole, card. Asshole, what's your address? <laughs> well, no, then I just write, like, uh, you know, may God grant you the wisdom to own your mistakes. <laughs> and and happy new year <laughs> and you know um so i mean that tape I, I can't imagine any republican listening to that tape and going like oh my god this is pathetic this is pathetic oh just give me one vote extra right. please right uh, i mean <laughs> i all you gotta I, find is one <laughs> i spoke to a member yesterday and and the idea that people are going to lay down in front of the train after that is astounding because that that was not a guy who was acting in good faith. That was not a guy who was acting in in any kind of rational manner. This was grasping. I mean, that for an hour, he just rambled. He had just the verbal no, diarrhea. It was, it was pathetic. Mm -hmm. It was a pathetic mm -hmm. human being. He's just gotten, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse when you couldn't believe it could get worse. And Americans are paying the price for that in in, in their lives, obviously. Here's what I want to do is I, I, I would like to talk to you about being a Republican. It's something I just I started a few minutes ago, a couple minutes ago, which is, um, you know, I've always, I've been a progressive, you know, all my, all my life, basically. So I think since I was 13 or something. And, and Stuart wrote this book called It Was All Lie. And I, I, kind, I kind of agree with him. And I just want to go back because you were a Republican political operative your yep. entire adult life, right? Mm -hmm. Until till now, till yeah. this uh, Trump. So the thing I'd like to talk about are, are like taxes, just, just the deficit. Sure. Okay. And uh, so I guess that goes back to Reagan and supply side and uh, Reagan cut taxes and the growth. It was a Laffer curve, right? And the Laffer curve meant that if you cut taxes, you get more revenues because it would create more prosperity. The economy would, would take off and you'd get more revenues. And so it wouldn't create deficits. But of course it did, right? Yeah. Like that painful dawning of understanding. I'm not a stupid guy, but at, at one point I finally had to say, oh my God, this is all just bullshit. This is When was that? Form. What year would that be? That's oh, what look, I want to uh, know. I can tell you on the economic stuff. And I was bitching about it publicly and privately to Republicans who were my clients and friends back then that we were playing the crony capitalist game and just calling it a tax cut doesn't make it something that is not a carved out benefit for one sector of society that no one else gets access to. And the idea that- that Can you give us a year on that? 2008. 2008. Late, late 2008, I started to talk to people and we started to actually, our, our survey work started to include it, started to ask that question as a gauge of what we saw at the time was the dawning of the Tea Party uh, movement. Now, late 2008, we're just starting the worst recession, mm -hmm. the worst economic period yeah. since the Great Depression. Right. And I, and I was, I was thinking to myself, well, we're not going to hold anybody in the banking industry to account. What the fuck is wrong with this country? Because these people 
built a product that was for which they should have been held criminally liable, which was the conservative response to a now massive you knew, fraud. You knew in 2008 that they weren't going to be prosecuting anybody from the banking industry? I, it was inevitable. It, it'd be, because the people who came into the deal with Treasury, they would have immediately carved out any kind of, of, of you know, prosecution option. But it was obvious that a criminal fraud had been committed on the American people and that these, these banks, you know, and look, as a conservative, I was outraged with, you know, these massive banks that were in, involved in a predatory foreclosure situation at that moment. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the credit rating agencies giving triple A ratings to these bogus mortgage backed securities that these banks were issuing. And if a credit rating agency of Moody's or S&P gave a triple A to junk then they'd get the next gig. So that was that was a crime. So anyway, that's one area of this. But you're saying that 2008 is the first time? <laughs> actually, no. Actually, I will go back. I will wheel it back a little further now that I'm sort of introspective on this, on this question. Um, in 2004, the payday loan industry came to us, to our firm, and said, hey, we want you to do the, all this advertising for us and da-da-da-da. And I had no idea what they well, were. I, I had no idea what they were, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I and I looked at it and I was like, I'm not touching this. This is poison. This is criminal. And and, and maybe that was maybe maybe that was an, an early inflection point. I'm basically saying, like, okay, so you you were uh worked on the Bush campaign, right? I did. On on W on, on W. On forty one. On forty one as uh, and, well. And then for the RNC and for W. Yeah. So uh, w in his first debate with Gore says, uh, "By far the vast majority of my tax cuts goes to those at the bottom." Now, not a majority of my tax cut goes to those at the bottom, not even a vast majority of my tax cuts go to the bottom, but by far a vast majority. That was just a lie. Well, sometimes you can tell an untruth without knowing it. I don't know. Well, I, don't, I don't know how much of an economist W was. Campaigns on every side of the political divide talk a lot of shit. But that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you uh, as when did you go, you know what? Reagan tripled the national debt and it went up uh, over 50% in HW's term, uh, you know, and, and he raised taxes and paid the price for that. Then. Clinton comes in, he passes a tax increase that not one Republican in Congress votes for. Mm -hmm. And then in 94, he loses the House and Gingrich becomes Speaker. And Rush Limbaugh, who just became, uh, you know, just got the Presidential Medal of Freedom, was named an honorary member of that class by Gingrich. And, and of course, Clinton handed off a surplus to Bush. So I'm saying, like, why did it take you till 2008 or four? Listen, I've written about this, and and part of it is there's a powerful cultural normative effect inside of a any culture and politics in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and and progressive Democrats and and conservative Republicans. They're they're all parts of a of a culture. And the hardest thing in the world is to break out of your cultural norms and the cultural biases that you grew up with or that shaped you, especially early on. I, th I think that's very true. And look, you're a cynical political consultant. So I elected liberal <laughs> Republicans, and I elected right-wing Republicans, and I elected moderate Republicans all over the country. But one of the things that I started to see in 2010 and 2012 was that the acceptable boundaries of Republicanism were narrowing. So I had come out and started advising clients in 2006 that I believed that gay marriage was A, going to be a social thing they couldn't stop, and B, it was wrong for them to try to stop it because what role should the state, should government have in telling people they can't get married? So this is post, this is 2006, you're saying? Yeah, it's like six, yeah. And yeah, and, and, and this is post 2004 for Bush because in 2004, Bush and Rove pushed for a lot of amendments in states that, that were anti LGBT marriage. I'm going to say this. Rove 
carefully assessed what he wanted to achieve, what demographics he wanted to motivate, and he and he, he used those gay marriage initiatives in Florida and elsewhere to do that. He also knew that that was something that older African American voters were not pro gay marriage at the time. They were as anti gay marriage as as most Republican evangelicals. And so Rove had a, you know, he saw that as a disruption opportunity. It wasn't wrong that it was a disruption opportunity. But, mm-hmm. but as I said, you know, in the post 2010, 2012 window, I started to see the narrowing of acceptable belief inside the Republican Party. Tea Party. Yeah. The Tea Party had emerged. Where you could not, the critique of the Democrats was, oh, they're all San Francisco liberals. They're all Boston liberals. They're all New York City liberals. Well, that was projection because what was what what the Tea Party was becoming and demanding was you all have to be a Fox News Alabama Republican. And so we started losing races in places like Washington State. We started losing races in places we should have won. And there was some pushback inside the GOP about that with the autopsy after 2012 and some other things. Then the next inflection point that I had, emotionally speaking, was watching what happened to Republicans who tried to pass an immigration reform bill. They got absolutely destroyed by this emergent outside cancer named Steve Bannon and Breitbart News and Fox, where they turned immigration from a fundamental underpinning of the American experience to dangerous caravans. And so, you know, I viewed that as something that absolutely indicated that there was a a, a, a corrosion and that the GOP was moving from a party based, and as flawed as it may be, if you think about a right-leaning party that believes in individual liberty and free and open markets and free and fair trade and the propositional nature of America, that anyone can become an American. You can come here from Cambodia, and if you adopt the American system, you become an American and your kids are Americans. All that was being thrown away. And the populism that was rising and rising through 14 and 16 led us to the point where we're with Trump. And the idea that you had 16 Republicans in the field of varying degrees of competence and character, but a lot of whom in any other year would have been considered serious people, the fact that they were all blown out by Donald Trump, even in 16, I was saying, this is the end of the party. You're done. It's over. You, you don't believe in anything. You believe in this guy. You don't believe in you don't believe in free markets or individual liberty or the Constitution or the rule of law or any of the things that Republicans used to scream. You know, when when Barack Obama did an executive order, Republicans tore their fucking hair out. Oh my God, it's unconstitutional. It's dangerous. It's da, da, da. and now it's like, oh yeah, Trump wants to uh, you know declare uh, you know BLM a terrorist organization. Cool, we should do that. You know, the, the, it's astounding. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things going on during all that. First of all, let, let's go back to same-sex marriage. Uh, Clinton was against uh, that, uh, and so was uh, Obama. When I, I was in to. favor of it before Barack Obama was. So Yeah, uh, me too. I, I ran. I started mm-hmm. running for the Senate in 2007. The first time I was asked about it, I said, no, I'm, I'm for it. I had uh, one of my biggest LGBTs. <laughs> supporters, the first uh, fundraiser I had came up to me and said, don't be for it. Don't be for same-sex marriage. <laughs> You'll lose. And I went, no, I mean, not for it. At that point in your state, it was still, it was still a, tough, a tough call to do that, right? It wasn't impossible. So, right. I, you know, I went, and also I was just, I, I had never not been for it. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and I thought like, I, I look, I got to, if I'm going to start <laughs> hedging my, my, my opinions now on stuff like that, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, right. what am I doing? <laughs> and, uh, but no, I was, I, a lot, a lot, the day I did it, I remember the day I did it, there was just deep concern. <laughs> that I was going to lose because of that. And I said, I don't, I just don't think so. And uh, Jesse Ventura mm-hmm. uh, was, was for that. Yep. And, you know, when you're talking about Jesse Ventura, that's part of the reason I think Trump, that was his appeal. Sure. And also those other 16, part of the problem was there are other 15. Problem was there are 15 of them. Yep. And also the problem was the, the any, any of them who were viable wanted to be the last guy standing Believing that Trump could never 
get Correct. the nomination. Absolutely. And then by the time they figured out, oh, geez, he, he is going to get the nomination, <laughs> it was over. And so it was uh, amazing to watch that thing. But basically, how could you not watch him? And CNN just, it was... Oh, he's doing a rally? Let's stay on the rally. Absolutely. I wrote about this um, at one time. I had a person from another campaign call me and say, I can't believe CNN. We had this whole huge event set up. They were going to cover it. We worked for weeks with them to get it together. And they're just showing Trump's goddamn plane circling the airfield. <laughs> yeah, that's television you for you. His, pl his plane is circling. That means that within the next... Half hour, 45 minutes, Donald Trump <laughs> will be talking about his, Mexico paying for the wall. wall. Let's, and he'll improvise <laughs> something <laughs> really weird that you're going to laugh at. So stay tuned. We're going to go now to a Humira ad and come right back. Yeah, it was impossible. I, I was campaigning for Hillary uh, during that time. <laughs> she told me, that she watched them because they're entertaining. <laughs> I believe it. Of course. I mean, you know, the the it, one of the things about Trump is you have to admit that he recognized that reality television has become the thing that is the definition. I wonder why he realized that. Right. Yeah, right. But it's become the definitional characteristic of what America is. You know, look, every year there are 700 plus reality TV shows in production in this country. He recognized there was nothing ideological going on here in this country anymore. It was all entertainment and attention and all those things. And so, you know, here we are with the 16 or the 15 others, you know, trying to talk about policy. Come on, get that out of here. He just. He, yeah, when, when they stop, when, when all these shows stop being scripted shows, and I'm a writer, right? <laughs> it just is so sad. I haven't said this a few weeks ago. My agent calls me and said, you have an offer. And uh, he, he, he emails me, you got an offer. It's interesting. We'll see. I don't know if you'll take it. You'll see what it is. It was Masked Singer. Oh, good God. <laughs> oh, good God is right. So I I had never seen the show, but I'd seen promos for it. Right. Like football, watching football. So I went like, wow, it that looks terrible. These are people in kind of costumes that look like mm -hmm. they're designed by Japanese variety show people, and it looks awful, awful what I can tell. So then I, I view it, and it was worse than I could possibly imagine, except people singing behind a mask is interesting because you listen to the song differently, so I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not knocking it, but it was not for me. This is my Sean Spicer moment if I choose to have one, which I don't. And and so you're not going to wear a buoyantly overdone flamenco shirt. <laughs> well, that was dancing. Uh, this would have been a mask. I would have been dressed as a flamingo. Oh, good God. <laughs> anyway, or something like that. So I this is the only thing I could think of to do is that they have a number of singers and you go against another one and they. Whoever loses has to unmask himself or herself. Mm -hmm. So uh, my idea was when I unmasked myself was to go, you people ought to be ashamed of yourself. This show is a disgrace. This is why Americans are the most underinformed, over-entertained people in the world. I thought that would be funny. But getting there, I'd have to wear this ridiculous costume, and I had, have been on Masked Singer. But I was uh, trying to figure out if there's any way to do it with dignity, and that was the closest I came to figure it out. As Donald Trump proves, reality TV and dignity do not go hand in hand. Uh, now, let's go back to this. So when, uh, like, on, uh, for example, on health care, okay, mm -hmm. when uh, Obama was trying to do what was called Obamacare or the ACA, where were you on that? Where were you? Were you a consultant still, a Republican? I was still consultant? a consultant, still a Republican. Uh, I fought against it for some of my corporate clients. And you agree now that it was a good thing, right? I was fighting for the the, the basically the side of crony capitalism in that. And you reach a point where you're like, well, that's the Republican Party. Yeah, well, it has become that. Yeah, and you reach a point where you're uh, like, hey, wow, you know, hospitals and insurance companies, they're 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 not just in this to to provide innovative healthcare services for all Americans. 
they're in this to maximize their quarterlies so that their bonus structure is, is retained for their leadership. You know what we're mainly trying to do is get as many people insured, get health insurance yeah. as possible, and find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And there were compromises made with with, with pharma insurance and, and insurance. Pharma. Yeah, yeah, and uh, in order to get it done. But what happened? What got done was millions of more people had health insurance. Yep, and also could afford it, and that's why millions, millions could well, do and, it. And, <laughs> and the irony, the irony of the whole thing is when Obamacare became a legislative live issue, one of our clients asked us to do focus groups. We did them all over the country. And we asked a very clear question. We said, what's the one thing that would make you support this? And we discovered that everyone, and I mean liberal, conservative, moderate, Republican, Democrat, independent, black, white, thin, you know, uh, everybody in the country, old, young, pre-existing conditions was the killer app of Obamacare. And at the time, I remember writing in the report, I said, if this becomes the discussion point of this campaign uh, on Obamacare, it's over. If Americans ever figure out the pre-existing condition stuff is in this, it's done. You guys are done. No, they weren't done until 2018. Yeah. That's the year that pre-existing conditions became the issue. Yeah. And that's the year Republicans got clobbered. Yep. I don't understand why we didn't do better in the down races this year, except I wanted to ask you about that, yeah. which is socialism. That word, you know, I don't know why Democrats didn't go, do you like Medicare? Do you like Social Security? Those are socialists. That's, those are socialist things. We are not going to take over our steel factories and the means of production. <laughs> I mean, we are. Right, right. What, what do you think we're talking? You know, this is just. Do you like healthcare? That would have been a very smart way to go. And I, I said this at the time. I've written a lot about the brand of socialism, and you know, Americans are fine with socialism as long as it's not called that. They are fine with Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all these other things. They're fine with that. Social Security comes close. Yeah, um, they're fine with all that. But here's, the, here's where the campaign should have paid a little more attention to the cultural nature of it. I don't care how many generations removed you are from Castro, if you're a Cuban in Florida, there is yep. still a draw to that message. So Joe Biden should have gone to Miami, okay? Wouldn't have cost him a damn thing. Should have gone to Miami, stood in the Caliocho and said, Fidel Castro was a goddamn monster who should burn in hell forever. You know what? He gets a little pissy response from 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 a couple people, but the Cubans hear that and they go, "Okay, now we can talk about other things." Because they're actually much more moderate on a bunch of other issues. It's that thing. It's like my grandmother used to say, "There's a turd in the punch bowl." It means it's not punch anymore. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, she was smart. She she was a smart lady. You know, th- there is a degree to which trying to reconcile the word socialism. And I, I look, we saw this in focus groups this year, and we saw it popping out in polling all year. Defund the police was a lie, mm-hmm. but it was an effective lie. Socialism was a lie, but it was an effective lie. And, and I mean, Biden actually came out pretty early and said, no, I'm not going to defund the police. But wasn't that our fault? Didn't we not say that enough? And didn't we not explain that Social Security is, is a form of socialism? And and But let me ask you something about Miami, though. Mm-hmm. Maria Teresa Kumar, who's yeah, been a guest yeah, of course. a number of times, said that, and this is something I want to ask you about, uh, uh, which is disinformation. Oh, she huge, said, huge. She said that, that she heard from her family in Colombia, that's mm-hmm. where Maria Teresa is mm-hmm. from, that there was disinformation being spread in uh, Miami. So this is Spanish-speaking people in Colombia. We're hearing this and warning Maria Teresa. And this is, you've seen it in Georgia. Just see it everywhere. And to me, this is the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems anyway, that we're facing in America, which is we have two universes of information. Absolutely. What the hell can we do about this right-wing disinformation? Well, you know, look, there are three cancers in our society in in the information world. Fox, Facebook, and fascism. And the last one I'm being flippant about, but there's a whole right-wing infrastructure 
basically now devoted to be like Breitbart or Gateway Pundit, um, where they feed into these the, into this alternative reality bubble. And it is a really tough problem to solve in this country, uh, as long as Facebook provides rocket fuel for the most crazy conspiracy theories under the sun. You know, Facebook is why millions of Americans believe there was a child predator sex ring under a pizza restaurant in D.C. Facebook is why that happened. And Facebook is why people believe Dominion voting machines stole the election from Donald Trump. All these things are not inexplicable. They're very explicable. And Facebook is the main reason why we're facing these problems. Carl Rove's group, Crossroads, ran these ads on Facebook, uh, which is Warnock was commenting on Reverend Wright saying, God damn America. And so he was quoting him critically critically. And so they run an ad of him saying that as if he was saying that and as as if he said it. And they were saying he said it and said he believed essentially what Reverend Wright believes. Facebook took it down, but then Crossroads put it right back up and Facebook didn't take it down. Correct. So this is when you, when you point at Facebook, yeah, they have an enforcement mechanism for this. And those people did nothing at a certain point. And it's really, really pernicious. I mean, it is the most pernicious thing going on now in, in our, poisoning our politics. 100%. And it is, and it is something that, that... Why did you do it, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just being... I was no, just, you didn't do it. I'm running for the hills. <laughs> All righty, we're talking to Rick Wilson uh, of the Lincoln Project, and we'll be right back after this word from somebody. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully... Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. Let's talk about my mochi ice cream. Why? Because friends do not let friends miss out on something this good. My Mochi is premium ice cream wrapped in sweet soft dough, and the flavors are amazing. Like My Mochi double chocolate with rich chocolatey bits, it's a chocolate lover's dream. Or don't get me started on My Mochi strawberry ice cream. It's cool, creamy, and bursting with natural berry flavor. And the sweet, luscious flavor of My Mochi mango will send your taste buds straight to the tropics. My Mochi is gluten-free, perfectly portioned, and only around 90 calories per piece. Taste the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream today. Find My Mochi at Walmart or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Uh, What are real regrets that you have in your career? Real regrets? Well, you know... uh, Is that a nasty question? No, no, not at all. Not at all. No, my, my, I have a, I have a few. One of the things that, that you know, I, I say to people, I, I'm not going to go back and recapitulate every every race I ever did, or every campaign mm-hmm. I ever ran, or every or every ad I ever made. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go back and and like beat my chest on it. I do regret that I wasn't able to sooner than I did try to turn the ship. I do regret that a lot of the campaigns that we ran, the people we helped turned out to be scumbag chicken shits and that i do regret names oh come on it, 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 you see well i don't know which campaigns you ran what <laughs> there there's there's one guy in the senate who's been willing to stand up to donald trump and it's mitt romney mm-hmm. one guy you know, Ben Sass issues the occasional elliptical. I'm so disappointed. You know, Susan Collins furrows her <laughs> brow. You know, Rob Portman pretends he's part of the wallpaper. Marco Rubio tweets elliptical Bible verses. Come on. I didn't join a party full of like passive aggressive snakes. I thought this was a party that believed yes, you did. in leadership. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I thought it was a party that believed in leadership. And look, I, I, and you call me sentimental all you want. <laughs> 
But the fact that the the like George Herbert Walker Bush as a president, and I was I was a junior guy in the administration. He led with he he led that administration with a lot of honor. And one of the things that I saw then, you know, when David Duke ran for governor of Louisiana, you know what that you know what George Herbert Walker Bush did? He sent a bunch of assholes like me down to Louisiana to help the Democrat, and we did vote for the crook. It's important. Was the campaign? Was that Edwards? Yes, it was Edwards. Yeah, Edwin Edwards. <laughs> and, and 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 I regret not being able to turn, like I said, to turn the ship and to influence more people. I regret not calling out the the entertainment culture of Republican politics that was emergent as things like CPAC went from being a conference of ideas to a place to hook up to a clown fest of the conspiracy right. Did, did you ever do Rush's show? Were you I was never on Rush's show. Uh, Rush, Good for Rush uh, <laughs> lost his shit with me on his show a couple times, one time of which was about gay marriage. And he, he, he dislikes me rather intensely. So, you know. It is what it is. What, what? I'm just curious. What did he say about? He said it was. It was like, oh, Wilson's part of the elite trying to break our cultural norms and force gay marriage. You know, like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that stuff. Would be like, why shouldn't a man marry a dog? Then, right? He would do that. Yeah. That stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and part of, part, part of that, <laughs> I, I've, I've compressed it all into one into one joke. Which is, you know, they, 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 they guys like Rush and, and people like Breitbart are like, you know, if we don't stop them now, it's going to be gay Sharia marriage for everybody. <laughs> Just, they're, 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 they're like, their portfolio of paranoias is amazing. So, look, we live in a country where we have the widest disparities in wealth and income. Yeah. We have, what what's going on in this country now during the pandemic is a disgrace and not just because of the dropping the ball uh which is the most horrific thing that uh, trump did but also just look at look at what it's like for kids in neighborhoods Mm -hmm. in washington dc it is a horror show and we have people, we have, we've tripled food insecurity. We don't take care of people in this country. We, and, and it is Republicans who are always, you said at the beginning of all of this, that they, on the side of, of the, uh, what'd you call them? Corporate capitalism. Crony capitalism. Yeah. No, look, the, I, I promise you the vast majority of Republican elected officials We'll talk a great game about the middle class and, 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 and the ones that are these new populists will talk a great game uh, about the working man. And when the lobbyist from Citibank walks in the door, that's it. Game's over. And when you've got a guy like McConnell, who you know, he's a transactional politician who believes in the retention of his own power above all else. He's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> He's the absolute yeah. worst. And I don't think we would have gotten this package if it hadn't been for Georgia. Am I right? You Correct. Know? Absolutely not. A- absolutely not. Okay. Um, so think about that. Think about that. I mean, how how do you let people go hungry? How, how do you do this? How do you let people go to you know schools that are underfunded? They 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 don't matter to them. But that's your guys, I well, just got to say. The guys that you were working well, my with guys for, a for a long, long time. time. But look, I, I, you have I'm to- just trying to ask you to square that in a way that will make me happy. Just <laughs> <laughs> right. your ideological priors, my pleasure. No, look, Al, I mean, I'm not making any excuses for the fact that, as you know, Stuart said, it was all a lie. We, tr- we, we did this thing that, that we thought mattered to improve the lives of people. And it turns out it was all bullshit. It turns out that the you know the, the, that a lobbyist from the, the from pharma walks in the door, or the lobbyist or or a lobbyist from the realtors walks in the door, or, or anybody else, frankly. Democrats meet with them too. You do, and... you do, and look, Democrats have their own their own set of 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 hypocrisy. hypocrisies, right? And and you know, there's a difference between meeting with them and voting with them too. You can you know, but. It's a very interesting thing, and I've written about this, which is if 
Minnesota is huge medical device. Sure. We have Medtronic. Yeah. And it's it's not about Medtronic executives getting rich. It's about all the people that work for Medtronic, right? It's about jobs in your state. And and look, I went to Israel early in my first term and I'd been before, but I'm, I went to the Knesset, and I realized that everyone in the Knesset represents their party, but all of Israel. Mm -hmm. We represent our state. There's only two of us from our state. So when Minnesota's interests are at stake, I'm voting for Minnesota's interests. And sometimes that may be, okay, let's cut the medical device tax because that'll be better for jobs in my state. Yeah, I mean, look, taxes are not a universal good, and, and neither are tax cuts. Rush Limbaugh, when I first listened to him, said, if you taxed at 100%, no one would work. And I said, you know what? He's right. It's the tax rate, the marginal tax rate should some, be somewhere between zero and 100%, but not either of them, <laughs> unless you're not making any money. <laughs> you know, One of the problems we have now is we talk about a tax cut, but what, what, what bothers me more in some ways is that corporations uh, get enormous regulatory carve-outs, enormous tax benefit carve-outs that are wired into the things that we don't see you know, in the headlines. Yep. And you've seen that up close, Al. You've seen how grisly that shit gets. And you know, I had a person who, I, I, a friend of mine, who was writing the Trump tax cut. He's one of those guys lurking in McConnell's office, okay? And I texted him at the time. I said, dude, is there anything in here for like middle-class uplift? What's going on? He's like, what the fuck do I care? I work for the hedge fund industry. <laughs> Who cares? And and that's that's something people really need to understand is that's how that's how this shit works. But there is a difference in the parties. Oh, of course. I'm not, and look, I'm not disputing that. I'm not. And you're I'm, in the wrong one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a man without a country now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What do you do going forward? Are you are the Lincoln Project lives? It continues. The Lincoln Project on, continues right? on. We're gonna. We've got work to do in 2022 and 2024. We accomplished something really amazing, and and we're part of a big movement. And we helped remove Donald Trump from the presidency. Did you think you convinced anyone, or do you think that you just? I know we rattled him. Well, we know we know we rattled him, and that's part of the thing that that people don't understand about the Lincoln Project. We worked on three or four different axes of attack. One of them was mess with Donald Trump, get in his head, bother him, distract him. We had spies in the campaign and we had people in the White House who were telling us, oh, my God, you just sent him around the bend with this ad yesterday. You know, everybody's freaking out about X or Y that you're doing. And so we did that to strategically disrupt the Trump campaign. We made him fire his campaign manager. We made him change message. We kept him distracted. And a lot of the stuff we were doing that was the really hot distraction that was because Joe Biden has just come out of this bruising primary with no money in the bank, uh, exhausted. The campaign had nothing put together yet. So we were buying them time and space to organize and raise money and and to not have to go into the apocalyptic battle with Donald Trump the day after he gets the, the primary wrapped up. So that element of our campaign, it's what we call the iceberg. Above the water, you see all the flashy viral video ads hammering Donald Trump. You see us causing all kinds of disruption and trouble. Below the water, we have a massive voter contact effort in 16 states. We have a massive political organization, uh, specifically in nine states. We do all sorts of voter contact, voter outreach. The ads people weren't seeing on Twitter and Facebook and in the news were running out in the states, pushing people away from Trump. We, we wanted our voter contact work uh, out in the States and the advertising we were doing on cable, on broadcast and in digital out in the States to move certain very narrow crafted uh, audience segments. We knew who we were after in places like suburban Atlanta. We knew who we were after in Oakland and Macomb counties in Michigan. We knew where we were going to go in, in, in Arizona and Maricopa County, exactly who to talk to. And so all those people uh, that we targeted, you know, we, we identified them early. We did a big data operation very early, and we were able to push, we thought, a very significant number of former Republican and independent-leaning voters over to Joe Biden. Now, we could not push everyone 
in the Republican Party, and we didn't try. The hard Trump voters were immovable. We studied them like anthropologists. We knew them, uh, and 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 we knew they were not going to go. We knew they were not going to change position. And so, you know, here we are. Uh, we we picked a narrow segment. We targeted it. We moved it. So going forward, uh, and the, uh, you're saying you're going to do 22. That means congressional races. That may mean state legislative races, governor's races. Um, are you essentially going to be backing Democrats? We have a phrase with Republicans and Trump. You bought the ticket, you take the ride. A lot of people are still on, on track to take the ride in, in, the, next, in the next election cycle. Uh, Rick, thank you so much. A pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you for having me, Al. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. If you like the Al Franken podcast, you can listen to all episodes ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Summer is here and adventures await. Wondery and Tinkercast are teaming up to bring you a summer of wow with new episodes of your favorite podcasts. Go on an epic adventure with Portuga the Pirate as she takes a road-tripping adventure across the country on Little Stories Everywhere. Immerse yourself in the life of someone amazing and listen closely for clues to guess who this person is on Who's Amazing Life. Listen to Wow in the World to discover something new about science, technology, and innovation and the world around us. This summer, bring your imagination out into the world and find your wow. Visit Wondery.com slash Summer of Wow to find new episodes of your favorite shows and to download scavenger hunts for the entire family. How much do you really know about black history? Like, really, really know. Wondery's new podcast, Black History For Real, weaves black history's most overlooked figures back into their rightful place in culture and the world at large. Listen to Black History For Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.